Hello and welcome to the Talking Guitar Podcast, brought to you by the North American Guitar in Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, Lindsay Straw, and this time I caught up with Drew Lowry of Lowry Guitars. Though he grew up in Northern Ireland, something that is immediately evident by the names of his guitars, he currently builds from his workshop in France. We had plenty to talk about, from his transition from his previous career into guitar making, as well as his build philosophies and approach. And given how much I love his designs and the tone of his guitars, it was no surprise to me to discover that we have a lot of musical influences in common too. We did this interview via Zoom, so we have also released a video version where you can watch our chat and see some shots and video clips of his guitars in action. If you want the full audiovisual experience, hop on over to YouTube to check it out. Otherwise, please enjoy my chat with Drew of Lowry Guitars. Well, I guess I'll just go ahead and dive right into the questions because I don't want to keep you from your vino for too long. So, uh. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I just we just got your guitars in and I'm so excited to talk to you more about um, your whole journey into guitar making. Okay. Um, yeah, I well, I came to it kind of late in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, uh, I had a, a full career in a totally different uh, uh, area beforehand. Um, I think it really kicked off when we moved to France. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was looking for something to keep myself occupied over here in the evenings and uh, because it was a new country, I didn't speak the language, all the rest of it. Um, and I'd always been interested in woodworking. Um, and I'd been playing guitar as well for, for quite a while. So as luck would have it, there was a, I found a luthier about uh, five, four or five miles away mm-hmm. who did evening classes. Nice. And so I went there just Initially, it was just with the, the project of building one guitar as a, just to have my guitar, you know, I, I, uh, something I built for, by, for myself. And I did that. And then he started doing uh, sort of professional training. So full-time courses for up to a year where you would just work in his workshop and, and learn the trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been thinking about changing course for a while because I wasn't happy with my you know I've been 30 years in a in the same uh, in the same line of work um so I just decided to, to go for it um I I took a year off took a sabbatical spent a year in this guy's workshop and just learning the basics and after that I started part-time I created a little business just to work in the evenings and weekends and so on mm-hmm. Um, that lasted a few years and then things, circumstances dictated that I had to leave my, my other job completely. And so that's when I started about, uh, when was that, 2018. So uh, I went full time in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it all, it was originally intended as, as something to do to keep me occupied during my retirement years, but uh, it, it sort of evolved into something <laughs> a bit more serious sooner than I had anticipated. Yeah. Oh, that's but awesome. I'm not, you know, I'm not unhappy about it. It's, uh, I think it's worked out very well for me so far. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, what is the luthier's name who you worked with? Uh, he's a French guy called uh, Baudry. Okay. Richard Baudry. I don't think he's all that, I don't think he's known outside France actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he's quite a, he's quite a well-known luthier here in, in France. Okay. So how did you end up going from Northern Ireland, right? Yeah. Um, how'd you end up uh, in, in France? Oh, 
Yeah, that's quite a that's uh, quite a roundabout uh, <coughs> thing. Um, well, first of all, yeah, Northern Ireland. I I, I did a PhD in, in Northern Ireland at, uh, at the university there in, in Belfast. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up working in, in I, I left at probably age twenty five, I think, to work in England. Okay. So I worked there for a long time in, in research and so on. Um, and at one point, I actually moved to uh, the US. I lived in Boston for a couple of years. Oh, really? Yeah, lovely city. And yeah. uh, I, I sort of met my wife by that point. He was French. And we went to Boston. Unfortunately, we arrived in Boston in 2001. And we were there for 9-11. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was sort of the kind of excitement you don't really want. Really. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, after 9-11, things sort of went down downhill a little bit. And we had to move back. So we went back to England and then afterwards to France. So we sort of, we were all over the place a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife didn't really like the, the lifestyle in, in England. We had, I didn't have family in England. She didn't have family in England. Mm-hmm. And so we decided the best thing once we had kids on the way, we decided to move to France to be closer to, to her family. Okay, nice. And also I was able to move jobs. So I worked for a big American company at the time and they had offices in, in France and Belgium. So I was able to move and, and keep my job. Okay, that's great. So it was all sort of very, I was lucky really. Mm-hmm. I just, we, we moved to France and I happened to end up just right beside a, a luthier who gave, uh, who gave lessons and that's it all started like that. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's crazy. So what was your job before Luthery? Uh, I worked in um, was a, a, an area of technology, voice recognition, really, voice recognition okay. and synthesis. So I was involved in research and development of algorithms. So the algorithms behind things like like Siri and Alexa and all that. Oh wow! So uh, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty full on, you know, technical stuff, and uh, it's a thing for young people, I think. Once I got beyond a certain age, I thought, no, no, it was too difficult just to keep up with all the developments. It was going very fast and I I decided it was time to to do something else to slow down a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Burnout was was approaching very fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you find that there's anything about that training or like your experience in that world that feeds into Luthery in any way? Yeah, certainly, because I, what I did was, I was basically looking at acoustic signals all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Digitizing and analyzing, doing frequency analysis, spectral analysis of, of acoustic signals, mainly the voice. But uh, that, I mean, so I, I understand how acoustics work. Mm-hmm. I understand how physical systems work. Um, and so I, that's given me a certain insight into what's going on with the, uh, with, with the top of the guitar when that's vibrating, the, the trade off between between fast attack and sustain and so on. I think that was, I don't, um, I don't use technical methods in my, you know, to, I don't, I don't, uh, there, there are theories who will use uh, spectrographs. They will use uh, things to generate Chladni part, uh, patterns and so on. I just wanted to get away from all that. I mean, I, I have it in my head. I understand the, the physics of it and the, the mechanics of it, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to be sitting in front of the computer looking at the graphs of spectra and so on. I did that for 30 years. So, uh, but yeah, yeah it, uh, I, I'm very much now it's, it's top tuning. It's, 
you know, very much hands-on, but I have the the understanding that I have the physical systems. I think helps me in the uh, in, in in the design of the guitars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It's almost like you kind of have that built-in instinct from all of that experience. Yeah. You don't necessarily need to like be super scientific because it's just sort of wired into you. Yeah, it's all sort of there. Mm -hmm. So, like musically, um, so you play guitar. So, what? How did you get into playing music, and what are your main influences there? Uh, the influences, well, from the guitar point of view, um, I listen to all sorts of stuff in the workshop. It's not really connected with the guitar, to be honest. Uh, mm -hmm. But from the guitar point of view, it probably started with. Um, uh, I discovered an English guitarist called uh, Davy Graham. You know, mm -hmm. Oh, I love Davy. Yeah, yeah. So it all started there. I. I wanted to play electric guitar, you know, I was a typical teenager, so it was Captain, it was ACDC, Angus Young, all that, I wanted to be a guitar hero, you know, like, uh, like a lot of young kids. Uh, so I started with acoustic, but for me, acoustic guitar was just something that you strummed. Mm -hmm. I didn't know you could finger pick, I didn't know you could do anything, you know, complicated with an acoustic. And at some point, uh, when I was at university, I discovered uh, Davy Graham and uh, Stefan Grossman and mm -hmm. Kitty Mule Records. Um, and that was great because he did tablature. Yeah. You could order, you could send away and get tablature. This was way, I mean, uh, I'm old, you know, I'm old. So this was in the 80s. There, was, <laughs> there weren't even home computers. There was no YouTube. There was nothing. Mm -hmm. You had to learn guitar by, by listening to your, your turntable or uh, cassette. Yeah. Or whatever. So the fact that, that Stefan Grossman supplied tab was just, you know, this was just wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, so I, I suddenly discovered you could do things, you could do walking bass lines, you could do all sorts of, uh, you know, alternate thumb, uh, Travis picking. I, I'd never, I never imagined you could do that sort of thing on an acoustic guitar. So that, that's where it all started for me. Mm -hmm. um, so that was back in the 80s, 90s. And then it just evolved from there. I learned, uh, well, I learned finger picking. Eventually later I got into what, what I suppose is called modern finger styles with guys like uh, Don Ross, Andy McKee. Mm -hmm. uh, players like that um but yeah it, it, all, it all started with uh with uh, with kicking new records really mm -hmm. nice so with your with your guitar choices it seems like there is sort of a more you're more geared towards finger style do you yeah, generally yeah, have right. that in mind when you build yeah okay awesome um so as far as uh building the guitars themselves so you, you worked with uh, that luthier in france do you have any other like sort of key influences um, with build styles or people that you take inspiration from? Yeah, definitely the, well, the first time I really became aware of of, uh, of what could be done with a, with a guitar in terms of build quality and, and woods and so on was my, again, when I moved to France, I was feeling a bit sorry for myself. So I thought I'll buy myself a nice guitar <laughs> <laughs> and I bought a Loudon. Mm. Uh, because George Lloyd in Northern Ireland, I thought yeah. I'd go back to roots, so I'll buy myself a nice guitar and see how that goes. It was like 10 times what I'd spent on any guitar beforehand. And that was a real, that was a, a complete eye-opener. It was the first time I'd seen a guitar built to such a level of, of precision and, and quality and the and the quality of the woods also. I mean, it was it was just a very, it was one of the standard series, so it was Indian Rosewood and um, uh, European European spruce no six but yeah it was Sitka it was Indian rosewood and Sitka so it was a fairly standard guitar but just the quality of the workmanship all the the, the mitres on the purfling the quality of the finish 
that really sort of opened my eyes as to what you know another level of, of what you could do with the with building a guitar mm-hmm. um so i think the earliest influence would have been Loudon. uh and then other irish builders who came along who probably came out of the same uh, uh, the same background so german michael roy also uh, another uh, northern irish guy who works about 10 miles from my home village in uh, oh, really? northern ireland so i visited him i visit him whenever i go home um, but there's a there, yeah there's a whole great tradition of, of guitar making in Ireland. So you've Loudon, McElroy, yeah. Avalon. There's all sorts of really good stuff there. Yeah. Um, nowadays it's probably if I was to have a, if I was to be able to order a guitar for myself from from a luthier, I think we'd be talking guys like Ted Astrand, mm-hmm. uh, Dion James. So it's really uh, I. I I go for more of a minimalist, you know, very simple, simple but elegant mm-hmm. design and, and, and the sort of sound that those guys get. So it's not, I'm not into really, you know, shell all over the place and then really fancy rosettes and so on. I like, I like something simple but really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can see that in your guitars too. There's sort of like a kind of organic feel that just really highlights the beauty of the wood. And that's something I appreciate. Yeah, that, that's playing. what I'm trying to go for. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I, I have the, the my rosettes are simple. The, the perfume schemes and so on are simple, but I really try to get. I mean, I, I'm I'm sort of manic for the details, which mm-hmm. I mad sometimes. <laughs> you know, I like uh, I like my miters to be clean. I like everything to be really, really well done. Even even if it's simple, it has to be it has to be well done. Mm-hmm. It has to be exact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's to me, that's kind of the best stuff in a lot of cases, because there's really you're really giving their giving like the the player or the viewer, whoever's looking at the instrument, like nothing else to focus on. So it's you're really just focusing on what matters and and focusing on the craftsmanship, which is, yeah, I think that's great. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I I take great pride in my work. So, you know, if I do something, I don't like it, I'll I'll take it apart and I'll do it again until I get it right. And the trick is to be able to, you know, be efficient enough now to, to do it first time. Uh, when I first started, there was a lot of let's do that again. That's not right, you know. <laughs> so it used to take me quite a while to build a guitar, but that's uh, you know these things come with practice. It's just uh, you have to apply yourself. Uh, and uh, so I, I take inspiration from yeah, I think guys like Ted, uh, Jason Costell, those those sort of guys who really you know they're really focused on. On the details and and, and uh, really trying to get everything right, mm-hmm. and so I you know I, I go down the same road or I try to go down the same road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you could definitely see that in your work for sure. Um, when you're building, do you are you primarily just using hand tools, or do you have any sort of like CNC machinery or anything like that? No, I, I don't have any CNC. I would I thought about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would probably use it mainly for building jigs and things if I had a CNC machine, possibly for doing cutting my inlays, the 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 my my logos and things. That takes me half a day each time to do a logo, uh, and it's I would probably use a CNC for cutting out logos and possibly inlaying them. But yeah, most of it is uh, either hand tools or or uh, you know handheld routers stuff like that. I don't yeah I don't have anything that's automated at all. Yeah, that's yeah. That just blows me away that that you guys can do that. Like you can 
make these absolutely exquisite instruments that well that's, that's how it used to be done you know yeah. <laughs> it's like something else just, yeah when you see it like a, a brand new one in person you're just like i can't believe that yeah just <laughs> even hands made this <laughs> yeah yeah so there's there's an art to I mean that, that whole side of things maintaining your tools and then there, mm -hmm. there are guys who go uh, really head first into, into shopping techniques and all the rest of, you know, it's all <laughs> yes, very easy to get sidetracked into, into maintaining your tools more than that you offer um, how did you come upon those those designs for the the braid and for the carrick yeah okay so uh yeah I, I was looking in the workshop the other day actually those are i think those are models number five and six if we look at all all i've done so far and okay. uh, some models i've only made one you know i made one guitar and i've looked at it and think oh no that's just that's just not going to work. <laughs> no, so the, these two that I've come on now are the result of, uh, well, probably 10 years of, uh, of, of evolution and, and, and tweaking things and so on. Um, and I probably, I mean, I, I've only got two at the moment. I, I want to add some more. But these two, the, the Carrick is the, the main, what I would call the principal fingerstyle guitar. That's mm -hmm. the fairly sort of an OM-sized guitar if you look at the world overall dimensions but uh, you used the word organic before and that, that's a word that i like for for my work i like uh, to have uh, you know the body shapes i like curves mm -hmm. i don't like flat spots you know and then factory built guitars you get a flat spot at the neck you get a flat spot on the tail yeah it makes it easier to fit the blocks inside um and uh, i don't like that so I've gone, I think this came from Loudon as well, because Loudon's guitar shapes are really, they're lovely, you know, they're curvy, they're, they're organic, as you say. I, I, I tried to sort of uh, follow the same line with my, my guitars. I like, uh, I go for elegance, just simplicity and elegance in the shapes. So the, uh, the Karik was what I came up with for um, just the, the sort of standard finger style guitar, if you like. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I wanted a small model as well, and I'd had other small models before that I didn't really do like. I had them on in a 14 fret version. Um, 14 fret I didn't like. 12 fret I don't like either. It's just it, it, I think it moves the for me it moves the bridge a bit too far back. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I I thought I said well I just I drew it out from 13 fret with a short scale, and for mm -hmm. me that just put the bridge in in the right place. Uh, as far as I could, you know, for, for me, mm -hmm. for others, but for me, the, the braid, the uh, 13 fret, uh, short scale, uh, it's, it's meant to be a comfortable guitar to, to play, it's just sitting down, you're not going to be reaching far away for, you know, for your cowboy chords or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so that was the idea behind that one. And also a small guitar for me just has more, more projection. 
-hmm. The big guitar, larger body, you get the complexity, you get the overtones. Uh, the smaller, smaller body, the, the braid, I think, is uh, really, it really punches out. You know, it, it, it cuts through if you have other instruments in the mix there, it's going to cut through. Yeah. I think that was, that's what we was looking for with that one. Um, I think what I'm missing at the moment is probably maybe a larger jumbo-sized guitar. And I haven't quite come up with a shape that I like for that yet. Mm -hmm. But at some point, I will I'll probably add a, a larger bodied guitar. Yeah, like something for yeah. like strummers and folks who are like backing yeah. bands and stuff like that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we just received uh, your braid in Cocobolo and Adirondack spruce and the Carrick in Quilted Sapelli and Swiss spruce. And so I guess one thing I'm always wondering with that from Luthiers is, do you find that you work with um, sort of the more, I guess, like standard tone woods very often, like mahogany and Sitka and Indian rosewood? Or do you find that most people kind of want those like, they're not newer tone woods, but more yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. elevated, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, there are, there are tone woods that come into fashion and some of them yeah. stay around for a while. Some of them you'll see they'll go mad for a year or so and then sort of quietly disappear, you know. They're, they're, but uh, yeah, in terms of um, what's on the, the order book at the minute, there's a lot of, uh, I feel a lot of ebony guitars actually. Ebony, I like ebony's tone wood, the ebony's, even African ebony, uh, Macassar, uh, and Malaysian ebony or Malaysian blackwood it's also called. I like mm -hmm. I, I tend to like Ebony's, but uh, no, I I built with uh, um, I sold one last year, which was Indian Rosewood Sitka, which is mm -hmm. very, you know, that's just your standard combination, really. Mm -hmm. um, a really good sounding guitar, and I think really I I try to to push Indian Rosewood quite a lot because it's a it's a tremendous it's a really fantastic sounding. Mm -hmm. you know, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. It's just that everyone thinks, oh, Indian Rosewood, you know, everybody makes those. I don't want yeah. that. But really, it's a tremendous tone wood. I think it's wasted that people don't ask for it more often. They could have a, a guitar at a reasonable price, Indian mm -hmm. Rosewood, Sitka, or European Spruce, and it will sound fantastic. Yeah. But when people think about luthier guitars, they want a custom guitar, they want something that's, uh, you know, they want their black and white ebony or or Coco Bolo or, or the tree or whatever. And I think, okay, that's fine, you know, but I think there's there's a lot to be said for the standard woods. Uh, if it's built by a good luthier who knows what he's doing, you get a fantastic sounding guitar at a reasonable price. Yeah. I, I think it's a shame we don't see more of them, you know? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that kind of answers a question I was going to ask you later, which I've been asking all, all the luthiers I've talked to, which is like, what tone would, would you kind of push people towards more? And Donald McGreevy and I actually had a kind of similar conversation where it's just like Indian Rosewood, it's a great tone, yeah. the reason why it's a classic. And so, and yeah, people want something else because they're, they're kind of making this big purchase and they think, well, I want to go for something more exotic. But the biggest difference between your standard series Martin and your new luthier made guitar is going to be the fact that a luthier made it. Yes, and you're exactly. going to hear a lot more difference from that than from yeah. Indian versus Madagascar rosewood or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So. No, I completely agree. I mean, the the guitars that come out of, uh, out of a production line, you know, unless you go for a custom shop or something, but they're really built. I mean, they're built to standard specs. They're built. Uh, they're built to last. They're built so they don't come back after six months needing a neck reset or whatever, you know. Um, but when you go for an individual luthier, he will, you know, it'll be built according to the specific wood that he's using. 
Mm-hmm. So even if it's Indian Rosewood the, the, and, uh, and Sitka, the, the top will be dimensioned, it will be thicknessed uh, according to that particular top. Mm-hmm. You know, it won't be just, you know, we, we, grow, we grow this thickness for Sitka, we grow another thickness for European or whatever. So I think the, the big difference, which I, I, I try to get across when I'm speaking to potential clients, is that, you know, yes, you, you, can, you can go for fancy woods, but the, the biggest thing you're getting if you're, if you're going with a luthier is that you get the expertise, you get the, the, personal, um, you know, the personal attention, you get the, the back and forth. You get the, the customization uh, to whatever you want, and, and you just get the the, the expertise that's been built over years uh, of this of, of of the luthier working with with individual pieces of wood. Mm-hmm. It's not just stick it through the thickener, take it out, stick the braces on, and over to the next guy. You know, it's uh, so. I think that's the. I can understand why they want a nice looking piece of wood or or something that's fancy, but. Really, what what they're getting from from luthier built guitar is the expertise of the of the luthier, mm-hmm. no matter what wood is being used. You know, so I'm quite happy to build with with uh, Indian rosewood or, or Sitka or just plain mahogany. I'd be quite happy to, but nobody asks for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a shame. It's really too bad. Because <laughs> yeah, if they like your work, they're gonna like it in whatever wood for the most part. I would hope they, yeah, There's I would no bad they. tone wood. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. So do you, do you do a lot of work with dealers like us or do you primarily do just custom orders uh, directly to individual players? It's at the, almost at the moment, it's mainly dealers. Um, okay. I have a few, I had, uh, a few individual orders last year. I don't have any on the books at the moment, but yeah, it's for yourselves and, uh, and a, couple of other, uh, a couple of other dealers in other parts of the world uh, is the, the principal outlet at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I would love to work with more, obviously, with more private customers because that's in some ways that well, there are pros and cons to both. When I'm building for for a dealer, there's a bit generally there's a bit more freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, there's general spec. We want this wood and you know, blah blah blah. But I, I'm there's a bit more freedom as to what whether I want to put a bevel on there or maybe I want to be a bit more creative with the with the rosette or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot there's a bit more uh, latitude I think when you're building for a dealer unless it's a bespoke uh, build or something. But with the customer, uh, then it's really you really have to drill down and work closely with them and and, and understand what they want. And that, that's sometimes that's quite difficult. Mm-hmm. With a private customer, you, it's best to know what kind of music they play, what what kind of sounds they're looking for. Sometimes they don't even know themselves; they're not really quite sure what they're looking for, and that, that involves a lot more, a lot more negotiation, a lot more back and forth, trying to, to understand what they want. Yeah. <laughs> building a guitar, whereas if you're supplying, if you're just sending a couple of guitars to, to a dealer with no particular customer in mind, it's, it's a little bit easier, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and just like speaking as somebody who gets to work with luthiers and, and request things, I'm like, ah, just do whatever you want. Like, I'm yeah. happy, be happy. Like, I we trust you. We know your guitars are awesome. <laughs> um, let's see, just a couple more questions for you. So, yeah, we talked about tone woods that people should explore more. Um, what guitar have you, or would you build for yourself if you are able to ever hold on to them for very long? Yeah. Um... 
Well, I did like my Loudon. It was a lovely guitar. As soon as I started building for myself, though, I actually sold that one because I thought it was a kind of a bad look to have uh, <laughs> <laughs> another luthier's guitar that I was playing rather than one of my own. If I was going to build for myself, I think it would be European Spruce and uh, Macassar Ebony. Oh, nice. That's one of my favourite tone woods. I built couple of, of little guitars in, in Macassar and they're two of my, the, the, what I consider to be by my the best sounding guitars I've made so far. Um, as I, I think I mentioned it before, I, I really like uh, the Ebony's, the Ebony family. So Macassar, I think I would have my, my Carrick model uh, in Macassar and uh, European Spruce. Oh, nice. If I was commissioning one, I would have Ted Asplan build me one. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> Um, speaking of European spruce, one more question about, about Tonguewoods. Um, that's, I think European spruce is probably my favorite too, though, honestly, you know, it, it very, it changes all the time. And you try a Sitka spruce guitar sometimes and you're like, oh, never mind. This is my new favorite. But, um, why do you, is there a reason for you why European spruce would be your go-to, um, choice for a soundboard? Well, I think, I mean, I can only speak from my own, you know, what I find when I build guitars with them, I think it's probably, it may vary with other, with other guys, but, uh, but I find the I've I've built quite a, I've built a few with, with Sitka. What I find with Sitka is that it um, I think you're looking at different for a fingerstyle guitar. I would always go for someone who's going to play fingerstyle with lots of lots of dynamic range, lots of nuance. Looking for you know the, the fine the fine details. I would also I would always go for European. I'd always go I'd go Swiss Bruce for that. Yeah. But I find with Sitka is that it's, it's something you can you can drive it a bit harder. Mm -hmm. I think it's got more uh, more headroom, and it, uh, I think uh, the guitars that I built with Sitka have really been you know, been they give a sound that's really in your face. You know, they, it's, it projects mm -hmm. things out there. I think Sitka is more possibly more lively, mm -hmm. oh, more projection. But mm -hmm. I think there's possibly more nuance and more subtlety with the with, uh, with the European top. Yeah, yeah, that's I think. Uh, so it depends what the person's looking for. If, if they want to play, if they're accompanying with other musicians and they want to cut through, I would say Sitka. Yeah. If they're wanting to do really, you know, complex uh, uh, finger style stuff in, in alternate tunings and so on, then I'd probably say Rosewood and uh, a nice European tops to stop. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely the way to go. Nice. Well, lastly, what's uh, what's next for you? Are you going to be at any of the shows this summer or fall? Um, I have nothing planned this this year. Actually. I I used to do a lot of uh, shows in France every year. There's big shows here. Um, I was due to do the the final Holy Grail show. I was booked to, to attend there, uh, and then COVID uh, came along. And since I haven't haven't done a show since, but I, I would look to be trying to get across uh, to the US for, for a show probably next year, if I could. Yeah, so, yeah, good there Because that's, you know, I'm, my market now is in the States, uh, Asia. Well, I'm sure definitely, like if you can make it out to Woodstock or Artisan or Laconer or one of the other shows next yeah. year, people yeah. will be very excited to, to see your guitars there. But I've seen that they're just, you know, they're, they're underway again, now after all the uh, cancellations and so on to, uh, this year, I'm just building this year for the first time in my life. I've actually got a waiting list. You know, that was a big thing as well. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so I'm into next year. I've had about, about a 12 month waiting list and I need to really knock those off as well. 
Uh, that's the other problem with shows. You need to use that guitars to actually take the show. Right. At the moment, like nothing. You know, I've got nothing in the workshop. Everything I build at the moment just goes out. It all. You have to set aside time to build spec guitars, and um, at the moment, I'm not doing that. I'm really just trying to catch up on my on the custom orders and get those out. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, yeah, possibly next year I might do something, but at the moment uh, I've got nothing lined up. Well, we've got something to look forward to in 2023 then. Yeah. Good Well, awesome. Thank you again for doing this. We're, I'm, I'm so excited to chat with you and to, to learn more about your, your backstory and to just get to have some more context to tell the stories of your, of your fabulous guitars that we just got in. So thank you okay. for having on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talking Guitar. As of recording, the Sapelli Carrick heard in the second clip is still available for sale. Plus, we can work with you to design your very own custom Lowry. To learn more about these guitars and our incredible roster of guitar makers, come visit us at thenorthamericanguitar.com. Until next time.